Welcome to the Field Goals Podcast. I'm Brandon Schultz, and this week we are joined by EJ Snyder of Windy City Gridiron, the Bears community on SB Nation. You can follow him at the Draftsman FB on Twitter. And EJ was down in Mobile, Alabama for Senior Bowl week, so we wanted to talk to him, get an idea of some of the draft prospects. EJ, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's a great thrill. I've I've followed field goals for a long time. I'm familiar with a lot of guys that currently write for field goals or formerly wrote for field goals and uh, love it. I also happen to live in the Northwest, so that's that's a great thrill. Yeah, just right down the road uh, in the area. So very cool for you to come on and join us. And, uh, you know, maybe we can convert you over from being a Bears fan to being a a Seahawks fan. But I I, I guess I doubt that uh, at this point. Yeah, good luck with that. Uh, I've been a Bears fan since oh, 19, a long time. <laughs> and uh, that's that's pretty ingrained in me. But I do have a lot of respect for the Seahawks and the way that Carolyn Schneider run that organization. And it's just a ton of fun to watch, especially being a guy that's interested in the draft. Um, John Schneider is, is just a personal hero of mine in terms of what he is able to pull off, how he is able to maneuver just very smart from a game theory perspective. So I I do enjoy sort of closet watching the Seahawks. Well, and, you know, we have that tie, too, of having uh, gone through some difficult times at GM. Uh, if you go back before John Schneider, it was Tim Ruskell, who was the GM for the Seahawks. He moved over and I think he was pro player personnel guy at, uh, uh, at for the Bears for a couple of years. And so we got to pawn him off on onto you guys. And, and now we ended up with John Schneider, who has been absolutely an amazing GM. So I appreciate you recognizing that. And you had an opportunity to go down to Mobile and see some of these guys in person. I'm, I'm always curious. You know, we, we talked to Jim Nagy uh, a few weeks back, kind of leading up to the Senior Bowl. And one of the things that I didn't get a chance to ask him about is about the small school guys that get a chance to play at the Senior Bowl, because there always seems to be a couple guys that have these standout moments. And it's one of the things that I appreciate most about the senior bowl is here's guys who don't get it, you know, a lot of national spotlight and here they are put up against some of the top players at their position in the senior bowl. And it really gives them a chance to shine and move up. Uh, it really improved their draft stock. Yeah, absolutely. Like you said, it is one of the unique things about the senior bowl and the process in general is, and this is something that struck me while I was down in mobile is this is the only place where players really get to go against other players in live action. Mm -hmm. There's all the workouts and all the combines and all the interviews and everything else. But if you want to put one guy against another, if you want to put a corner against a wide receiver, if you want to put a defensive tackle against a center, this is the only place where they get to sort of put their hands on each other and really go at it. And for small school guys who obviously there's always that question of level of competition, this is it. This is their moment. And there's there's three guys from this year's edition that stick out to me. That's Kyle Duggar, who's a safety from a little tiny school you probably haven't heard of called Lenore Rhine. Uh, There's a guy named Ben Barch who went to St. John's, which is a division three school up in Minnesota. And the third one's going to escape me. Oh, no. Antonio Gandy Goldman, who is a receiver from Liberty College, which you may have heard of for other reasons, but uh, he's a legit wide receiver, 6'4, 220, and good skills. So all three of those guys had sort of varying weeks at the Senior Bowl, but, you know, it's 
like you said, it's their chance to go against guys from Tennessee, Ohio State, Texas, you name it, and see if they can compete. And that's a real deal. And scouts look at all those reps to say, am I getting somebody that's in over their head? Am I getting somebody that has potential and could improve? Or am I getting somebody that's ready to go? So Gandy Golden having a chance to kind of show up and practice. He did have one big drop that I think people are maybe making a little bit too much of a big deal about. But, you know, the Seahawks, they could really use a third wide receiver. And I, I am kind of curious about they, they do have their big guy, uh, but Gandy Golden also on the bigger side. And, and you know, maybe you can never use too many uh, the big wide receivers. No, you can't. Uh, it- if you can get a guy that's six three or six four and has legitimate skills and cutting ability, you go get him. Um, Gandy Golden had a drop uh, also in practice uh, on a really nice route. But the thing to remember, or at least for me to remember from that route, is he absolutely burned his guy. Like he had a good cut. He had strong separation. He was wide open. I don't mean pro open. I mean like two, three yards open and got hit with a nice, uh, nice arcing ball down the left-hand side, ended up dropping it. But that wasn't representative of his week. Generally, he looked very quick in the little box drills they do to warm up, especially at that size. Usually guys who are on the taller side have trouble sort of squatting down and changing their momentum. He didn't seem to struggle with that at all. And he caught most of the balls that were thrown at him. He had a couple of drops. Hands are going to be a thing, but they're mostly concentration drops. And that's solvable. It's not like he doesn't know how to catch or he consistently body catches or double catches the ball. He can catch the ball with his hands. He's a big guy. He's got good speed, knows how to use that body to sort of frame people out, but also can just cleanly get away from them as well. He's not just a possession receiver. So I think the arrow is pointing up on a guy like Andy Golden. Well, you mentioned the opportunity for these players to go one-on-one in a game situation and also one-on-one in practice. But when you look at the game, at the the senior bowl that was played, the North versus the South, one thing really stood out to me more than anything at all in the game situations, and that is I do not want a tackle drafted by the Seahawks who played on the South team at all. <laughs> it's funny you bring that up because it was the one point I was like, I wonder if he's going to talk about the South tackles. <laughs> um, they had uh, not the greatest week of practice. I would say their week of practice was up and down, and I was really there for practice. Uh, I didn't stay for the game because the game is a the game's a bit of a unique beast uh, just by itself. It's it's guys running a system that they learned earlier in the week with teammates they just met and there's sort of playing time limits. They want to get everybody in and get everybody seen. So the game is a little forced in several ways. Practice is much more straight up. Like, go run this route. Okay, there's going to be a guy defending you. Let's see who wins. It's very basic in that way. and And there's almost a purity to that. But the South tackles had their moments in practice where they won and they showed potential, but they also had their moments where they got beat cleanly and you thought, oh, geez. Um, That was kind of more of the side that showed up in the game. And that was a pretty prevailing opinion I saw in the coverage of the game is, you know, yeah, look, the the North's edge rushers looked pretty good, but you have to consider the source, right? The South's tackles were not ideal. And that that happens. Those guys do have potential and and certain offensive line coaches may have seen things that they liked and try and pluck those guys. But I would put most of them fairly clearly in the developmental category mm-hmm. right now and nobody in the, oh, they're polished and ready to sort of plug in and, and possibly take a starting role. Well, while I was watching the tackles from the South just get uh, destroyed, 
I there was one guy that stood out on the interior line, and that was Logan Stenberg of Kentucky, and you know of of guys who could hold it down. He looked like he was holding it down his position really well. Yeah, I. Stenberg is a personal project of mine. When I got my invite to the Senior Bowl a couple of weeks ago, I started concentrating. I actually asked Bears fans, as I'm a a scout for a Bears site, and said, hey, I I know that tight end is absolutely a need. What do you guys think are the top needs besides that so I can kind of focus my film work before I get down there and, and have an eye and a familiarity to the position groups that are really relevant? And we disagreed a little bit with the fans, but that's okay. It came back pretty regularly. And interior offensive line is definitely a need for the Bears as well. So Stenberg was on my film list heading in. And I was fascinated by him because he's a huge dude. He's 6'6", 322, big wingspan. He doesn't move well laterally, but he is incredibly strong and he plays with a mean streak. He finishes. So if you put that guy in a phone booth in the guard gap and say, don't let anybody through here, he's really good at that. And what came to the fore during certainly the senior bowl practices he was being coached by the Cincinnati offensive line coach was that that guy is, um, to put it pleasantly, a yeller, and he wants <laughs> things done his way, uh, especially with technique. And I understand that. Uh, he's trying to see how the guys take coaching. But Stenberg was asked to you know, do and learn some techniques that he hadn't used before. And quite frankly, the rules of the Senior Bowl, or at least the unwritten rules of the Senior Bowl, go against a guy like Logan Stenberg. Logan Stenberg is a big, strong dude that doesn't do everything technically correct in terms from an offensive line perspective. He doesn't bend super well. Um, he doesn't always use leverage, but he's big enough and strong enough and long enough that he gets away with it. And very few people get by him. Well, the Cincinnati Bengals line coach wasn't wild about that and wanted hand placement and strikes that were on time and this and that. And he got on Stenberg pretty hard. And the other thing is you can't put anybody on the ground at the senior bowl. There's a higher risk of injury if you fold somebody over and lay on them. That is Stenberg's game left and right. If you turn on his tape in Kentucky, he is pancaking guys. He's laying on top of them. He's pushing guys down who are pass rushers. They try and get up. He pushes them down again. He just plays with that edge. And the bottom line is a guy like him with his strength and his frame, if you put him in the gap and say, just get it done, Logan, he gets it done. Not many people get by him. But if you say, oh, you got to do this and drop your butt and put your hand here, he's probably not going to do as well. So it's a classic case of do you care about how it looks or how it works? And with Stenberg, it works, but you have to be able to kind of just stomach how it looks, which is um, – Let's just say not technically perfect, but he he can get away with it. So he's a he's a fascinating case study. He's a great dude. I actually ended up running into him in the bathroom of the player's hotel. The the barmaid had kind of sent me down into the area where the teams were doing like psychological testing. And so I show up in this NFL bouncer type stands in front of me and I'm like, Hey, the, the barmaid sent me down here. Uh, said the bathroom's on the left. He's like, okay, go through. And so I'm in the bathroom. I go to the bathroom. I'm washing my hands and this guy comes out and he's huge. Right. And I'm like, I think that's Logan Stenberg. And I look at his shorts and it says university of Kentucky and he's the only Kentucky guy there. And so I said, Hey man, are you almost done? And it was like eight thirty at night. He goes, "Oh no, sir, I've like, sir, I love it, classic Southern <laughs> player, right? Sir, I have like five more tests to do." And I was like, "Well, that's rough, man. Try and try and keep your head down." And I was like, "Should I say something?" And I was like, "Finally, I was like, look, just for what it's worth, I I know the offensive line coach is on you pretty hard, but I really like your game. I like the results, and 
just keep your head down and keep working, man. And he was like, well, sir, I really appreciate that. And I, I just washed my hands and walked out. But Stenberg's <laughs> a good dude and he's really effective. Like that's the bottom line is you put him in a gap and you say, control this gap. Nobody gets by you. And he's like, yes, sir. Right. And that's going to happen. And if you're okay with that, Stenberg's a guy you could look at. Well, the one area that I'm really looking at, and, and it's why I was watching the tackles primarily, it's because the Seahawks could use a right tackle. Jermaine Effetti going to be a free agent this offseason. Dwayne Brown, you know, he's getting toward the the wrong side of 30. And so I, I am kind of curious about the tackles. Were there other guys that uh, stood out to you during the week as potential uh, starters at the tackle spot? Yeah, potential starters is is the key there. There's some guys we we didn't get to see a couple of guys, and that was unfortunate. Um, Tremaine Antrim from Clemson got red flag just for uh, precautionary. He had a little bit of knee swelling, and they're they're pretty careful at the Senior Bowl. They don't want to wreck anybody at an All Star mm-hmm. game. So he sat out. I was looking forward to him. Again, always you get a guy from a top program like Clemson uh, with great size. He's six four three thirty. I was interested in seeing how he stacked up against the rest of the competition. And then another guy that got a uh, red flag from an SEC school was Prince Tega Wanogho. Uh, I'm sure I'm butchering that name from Auburn. <laughs> He's six seven three oh five, And so we didn't get to see either one of those guys. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of the guys that we did see, some of the guys, some of the guys from the North squad, again, pretty interesting. Uh, whether they can slide right into a starter spot. If you're doing that, I would look at guys like Josh Jones from Houston. He is an absolute unit. Six seven three ten. Saw him in weigh-ins. Um, I swear, just shelved out up top. Not an ounce of fat on him. Had some up and down reps throughout the week, but looks the part and also had some very, very good reps as well. So if you're talking about starter quality, Josh Jones is a guy to look at. Um, of interest to me was Charlie Heck. And probably of interest to you as well, because his dad, Andy, was both a Seahawk and a bear. Yes. Yeah, that makes you feel old. But uh, his <laughs> his son, Charlie, played at UNC. He's definitely a tackle, and he is ridiculous. He's 6'8", 315, and doesn't – he looks completely in shape, if that's possible for a guy of that size. Right. Um Charlie had a pretty rough first day. He got his lunch handed to him by Alden Robinson, the Syracuse pass rusher, uh, looked a little unsure of himself. Uh, I fully expected, again, as the kid of uh, pro, uh, somebody that's been around the game, probably been at very high-level high school, uh, high-level college program, I expected this guy was going to come out and right the ship. He was going to figure out what happened to him the first day and kind of fix those things. And that's exactly what looked like it happened on the second day. He sort of righted the ship, uh, steadied up, and, and had a pretty solid day of practice and he just has so many physical tools he's a big strong guy six eight again he's got a huge range is he ready to be a starter right now i maybe in the perfect system he's certainly a guy that could grow into that pretty quickly so there's some guys there and then again the starter the starter tag is the thing that really makes that question interesting there's a couple of guys with a year or two they've got the tools they've got crazy athletic tools but they're not quite ready mm. quite yet. Um, so if you're looking for starters, those are kind of the guys I would look at. There's not that many. There's there's always sort of a dearth of tackles. But again, sure. not being able to see those two guys who are pretty polished after a high level of competition in the SEC, the pool is a little limited. Well, and I, I feel like it's an unfair question in some way to ask of some players because, you know, starting tackles I mean, you're guys who are obviously starters at that position are going to go in the top 10 15 and 
Yep. Uh, and so maybe that's just not the case this year. And uh, we might have to look at uh, free agency, which the Seahawks have been already doing in the past, uh, getting guys who can fill in and, and maybe have been a little bit more successful at finding guys in free agency. So maybe that's just the place that they end up looking. So I do want to get more into this and move over to the opposite side of the ball and look at the pass rushers. Let's do that coming up next. Talking to EJ Snyder of Windy City Gridiron about the Senior Bowl and some of the guys he saw down there while scouting them throughout the week. And I want to talk about probably the biggest need for the Seahawks, especially the fact that, well, it's probably a biggest need for just about any team out there. But considering the Seahawks only had 28 sacks this past season, they're going to need some pass rushers. And you touched on a couple of the guys who had big games, Bradley and I having his way with uh, whoever was at the, the tackle spot for the South. And then you had Uche on the other side for Michigan. Uh, he had a game as well, although he did forget uh, that it wasn't two-hand touch uh, uh, playing uh, Justin Herbert uh, while he was out on the field. But uh, that was that was kind of interesting. Have we figured out what, what exactly was going through Uche's mind uh, during the Senior Bowl when he had a clear shot on Justin Herbert and just uh, decided to place his hands on his waist? Um. Uh... Mm, I think there's two sets of rules, right? There's the yeah. rules for most everybody. And like I said, the, the unwritten or at least the verbal spoken rule, um, nothing will get you uh, yelled at more quickly in a senior bowl practice than putting a guy on the ground. Now, if now if a wide receiver and a cornerback both dive for a ball and they end up on the ground, like the coaches aren't happy about it, but they totally understand that that's the thing. If you're a linebacker and you flat out light up a running back and, and put your shoulder into him as he's going down, you're going to hear about it. If you're an offensive guard and you get a defensive tackle off balance and you do more than sort of toss him, if you toss him and land on him, you're going to hear it like from multiple sources really quickly. It's it's a way to get guys hurt. And I think Uche might have been not sure <laughs> that, that rule got turned <laughs> he had off. Such for an the game. easy clean shot at Herbert. He thought, OK, this guy's, you know, future well, you top 15 pick. Think, right? <laughs> this, yeah, exactly. This is a business decision. This is the old Deion Sanders business decision. Right. And all these guys are look, they're all there for the same reason. They're all there to showcase their talents, find a potential employer and go as high as they can. And. Yeah, you can wreck a guy in the senior bowl, but what good is it? Does it, you know, I think some teams might even look at that as a negative, like, hey, this guy doesn't get it, right? Mm-hmm. He doesn't understand where he's at. He doesn't understand, let's just call it situational football. So I would have liked to see him at least give him a good hard shove, but not laying <laughs> his shoulder pads into his ribs. I can't really fault him for that because he gets it. Yeah, well, when I did watch and saw that, uh, I think they went back during one of the breaks and showed the guys in the locker room and that one of the chants was one, two, three, get paid. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I feel like the guys there, they they probably know what they're there to do. And yes, he showed enough around the edge, beating his guy, blowing him up. You know, just the fact that he didn't lay into the quarterback. Yeah, maybe a, a smart decision by him. And based off of what you've said about the coaching makes a lot of sense. But who are some of the guys that you do like of the potential pass rushers? You know, is Josh Uche a guy that the Seahawks, you know, potentially in the late first or in the second round that they should go for? Or or maybe a guy like Bradley and I, or, or maybe there's some other guys that really showed up to you on uh, at the practices. Yeah, I think Uche, now that you mention him and I think about him, the Seahawks tend to take or like pass rushers that I'm not really wild about. Um, (laughs) You know, LJ Collier being a classic example. I was a little bit lower on Collier than a lot of people were. uh, And, uh, you know, Seahawks decided in the first round he was their guy. Right. 
So Uche is a guy that I'm a little bit similar about. I actually like him maybe a little bit better than Collier, but he's not on the top of my list. But now that I think about it, I think "Mm, that might just be a perfect Seahawks guy. Um, (laughs) He's got talent. I'm not saying he's not talented. It's just the the Seahawks prioritize different things in pass rushers than I do. And that's Mm. fine. Um, the, The pass rushing group is really interesting. It's not listed as a strength in this year's draft, but there's some really let's call them hybrid guys around the edges who were either small four three ends or maybe almost classic you know sam linebackers who fit in this category of where are you going to play them and what are they going to do um to put it in a frame of reference for for bears fans that's leonard floyd right leonard floyd is not a classic sack artist but he's a really good football player he sets the edge he can drop back and cover he's long he's rangy he's athletic but he's not going to rack up 10 sacks a year and there's a ton of guys like that in this year's class um one of the guys kenny willikus from michigan state i got to talk to him he was a classic four three end at michigan state played with his hand in the dirt all the time plays with a ton of leverage and effort um got a chance to have a conversation with him, ask him about transitioning to a two-point stance because he's been working on that. He obviously knows that's going to increase his versatility. He thinks it might actually make him faster uh, because it, it was very interesting talking to him. He's when I'm when I'm down, he's a guy that really tends to drop his butt, put his back flat, and he said, I have to go up, and then if I'm gonna dip, I have to go back down, and then I have to go back up again and hit the quarterback. He said, in a two-point stance, I'm already up. All I have to do is dip and raise up and hit the quarterback. So once I get this two-point stance thing mastered, I feel like I might actually be quicker. And that was just mm-hmm. a fascinating conversation to have. But Willikis, a guy I like a lot. Um, a really interesting guy was Jason Strobridge from North Carolina. Now, this is a guy that came in more typically as almost a five-tech defensive end up in the 270 range. He lost about 10, 15 pounds. Uh, for the senior bowl came in in the 255 260 range mm. and played as a two-point edge uh, a more classic edge and wrecked the first day of practice tuesday practices jason strobridge was everywhere and i was like who's the guy in the unc helmet there's no edges from unc right and i looked him up and i'm like he's supposed to be a five tech. he doesn't look like a five tech and then i looked back at his weigh in numbers and realized he dropped a bunch of weight probably on the advice of his agent and was playing in a two-point stance and looked really good doing it looping on stunts he's very familiar with working his hands being a five tech Guy that really showed up this week that kind of came out of nowhere. And then Bradley and I, you talked about, it's going to be familiar to a lot of Seahawks fans who maybe watch the Huskies as well. Bradley and I plays for Utah. He's in the Pac-12. He had a great season, ended up with like 13 sacks. Um, I'm sort of up and down on an eye, but he had a great game, showed up when the lights are on, and that's something scouts are going to look at. Is he a gamer, right? When when the lights come up brightest, is, is he going to play his hottest? And he had a great game. Cool thing about Bradley and I, if you're looking at him, is he's already got a bevy of pass rush moves. He's got three or four good moves that he can go to, and that's really rare in college. I know that sounds like it should be the thing in D1. There's so many guys that have one move and then maybe another half a move that works sometimes when they don't want to use their primary move. A guy like Bradley and I showed easily three or four moves in practice this week, and that's something. That's an advancement as a pass rusher. Plays with high effort for sure and, again, showed up in the game. So people are going to be paying attention to him. Um those are pretty much the guys on my list, but then there's those sort of edge guys like uh, Carter Coughlin was a guy I took a look at in the middle of the week for Minnesota. 
who was more of a classic edge, but he really was, he trimmed out and is looking to play almost a sort of rangy outside linebacker or nickel outside linebacker. Mm-hmm. Uh, told me he was focusing on pass coverage in the month in between the end of his season and the bowl game because he really felt like he just wants to learn and he knew that pass coverage was something he didn't do a ton of. He was sort of a spot drop pass coverage guy in the Big Ten and knew that he needed to increase that skill going into the NFL. So went to the cornerbacks coach at Minnesota and was like, hey, what do I need to know about pass coverage, right? And worked on pass coverage. And it showed in the senior bowl, he can go forwards, he can go backwards. Um, he's got a surprising amount of pass rush. Is he going to line up against a you know a straight up tackle and take him one-on-one? Probably not. But is he a hybrid guy you could bring in and around and stunts and throw him back in coverage sometime, really kind of confuse the offense? He is. So a lot of interesting guys there. Yeah, and I was interested in hearing you bring up Strobridge because it was one of the guys that I had heard him talked about all week. And so I was focusing on him at the game and it seemed like they played him more inside. So it's it's kind of curious to me that they, you know, it, ha- after having such a good week playing kind of an, an outside position, they moved him back inside for the actual game. Yeah, it's tough to tell what the coaching staffs on either side is really hearing from their other coaches. Because one of the really interesting things I learned, uh, I mean, I learned a ton of things going to the Senior Bowl in person, but one of the really interesting things I learned is every team has uh, the ability to, to put two representatives on the field. So it's not just the Bengals and the Lions who were the coaching staffs who were leading the drills and, and doing the meetings and the installs and all that. Every team can put two reps on the field so that they can actually see these guys at field level and be up close and and here. They can't necessarily influence things, but it's pretty interesting uh, how insular the whole coaching, scouting, uh, draft community is. All these guys know each other. As you know, staffs get moved and people get jobs in other places and they go to college and then back to the pros. And all these guys know each other. And all week long, all you see in the stands and on the field is, hey, man, how you doing? Good to see you. Hi, you know, how's the family like all these guys know each other so you never know what the coaching staffs are getting from these other folks that are on the field saying hey you know pop strobridge inside we want to see if he could play standing up in the middle um especially like you said after he had a really sort of eye-opening week at edge maybe they thought that uh you know he could he could showcase even more versatility i'm not sure we we don't have privy to that but uh it's an interesting decision given how many eyes he opened playing outside uh that they would slide him inside well, moving back over to the offensive side of the ball, one of the needs for the Seahawks. And I, I don't know if you'd say it's a big need, but they've had some issues at the tight end spot, especially with Will Disley getting injured this season and you know not really having the kind of depth uh, that was, it was just especially noticeable. Uh, once Will Disley went out, it changed the offense. They didn't have kind of the size. They didn't have the ability to to block on the edges like they did with Disley. So I feel like, the Seahawks may go into this draft looking for another guy to pair with Disley. And I'm kind of curious, especially watching the game. One of the guys that stood out to me was Harrison Bryant of Florida Atlantic. And in not particularly in terms of, of, of a pass catcher, but in terms of a, a blocking type tight end, was there anything that stood out to you from Bryant? Yeah, Bryant is a guy that I, again, studied on tape, tight end being one of the Bears' needs. He's got great size. He's 6'5", 240, um, ran a fairly sophisticated offense. I was familiar with him because I'd scattered a couple of guys from Florida Atlantic last year, and he'd showed up. He'd made some plays across the middle. He'd moved the chains a few times. He made some big catches downfield in the seam, and I thought, hmm, okay, I'm going to put a star by him. 
He continued to do that all this college season and didn't look any different when he showed up at the Senior Bowl. Looked like he belonged, ran routes very well. Wasn't terribly stout in blocking, but again, coming from the offense he comes from in Florida Atlantic, that's not surprising. But he's all of his 6'5", 240. He might even... I could easily see him slipping into the league at 245 or even 250. He's got the frame for it. He looked Mm -hmm. very natural catching the ball. He's not slow. He's fleet of foot. Uh, He can be a guy that can add something to your offense. And I think you're right. Uh, Disley's such a great story. And the injury was such a a blow, really, to the Seahawks and obviously to him as well that, you know, it, it reminds me a little bit of a guy like Hunter Henry, right? I'm not saying they're the same player. I'm saying Hunter Henry, when he's in there, terribly effective and really helps the Chargers offense, but he's had a couple major injuries in a couple of years. And that always, he's a free agent this year. And that always puts sort of an asterisk after that guy. Mm -hmm. And the, the Hawks I think would be, um, uh, I'm not going to say negligent, but uh, certainly not looking at all their options. If they're not looking for a compliment that can come in and really take some of Disley's reps if he's not in there. Well, another one of those guys, too, you know, talking about Disley, he's one of those. He, he's a player that in college, well, he was a, a converted defensive lineman over to the offensive side of the ball. They didn't throw him a ton of passes, but uh, he's shown that he could be very effective in the passing game. I'm kind of wondering if you saw something similar with a guy like Sean McEwen of Michigan, you know, a guy who's traditionally just is a blocker, but a guy who maybe can catch. Yeah, McEwen is fascinating because I I did watch him before I went to the Senior Bowl. I checked out a couple of games and Harbaugh does not use his tight end a lot at Michigan. He just doesn't. So McEwen tape goes about like this block, 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 hook, block, 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 flare block, 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 screen, block, 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 block. And that's the whole tape. So you see maybe three or four opportunities for him to catch the ball throughout. And I thought, well, you know, here's a sort of classic Michigan tight end, big guy, fairly strong. Uh, McEwen had uh, leaned out a little bit for the senior bowl and comes out in the first day of practices and looks completely fluid running routes, Um, shifting that weight, shifting that height, catching the ball with his hands away from the body, you know, corralling it in really smoothly and cleanly, keeping his momentum. And I thought, whoa, wait a minute. And the immediate thing that sprang to mind was another guy that we've seen come out of the Big Ten in recent years and, you know, surprise, and that was George Kittle. And I'm not saying Sean McEwen is George Kittle. Let's just get that out there right now. But Kittle was a guy that blocked and blocked and blocked at Iowa, caught like 10 or had like 10 opportunities to catch a ball his entire senior year. Goes to the combine, lights it up, shows he's really athletic, looks amazing in the gauntlet drill, and everybody starts to go, wait, he's an amazing blocker, but boy, it sure looks like he can catch. McEwen did a little bit of that at the Senior Bowl. He came out looking like a guy that is absolutely a two-way player. I think savvy scouts and coaches are going to say, hey, this guy's going to be available. He's not a top name. Maybe we can get him in the middle rounds, and he's got the ability to do this. Harbaugh didn't use it, but that doesn't mean he doesn't have it. There's another guy that I'm really curious about at tight end because he's a local guy. He's at a federal way. He played at Portland State in college, and that's Charlie Taumapayo. And he was a guy who had a chance to uh, practice this week in the Senior Bowl as well. I don't remember him standing out in the game necessarily, but I'm curious to see if you saw anything from him in practice. 
Yeah, he didn't stand out in practice. I loved his tape. I I did watch him before he went for the obvious reasons. He's from right down the road in Portland State, um, played here in Federal Way. But Tom Oipea is a really interesting guy because he blocks and blocks and blocks, and he does a great job at it. He almost looks like a fullback. There are tight ends that block, and then there are tight ends that like to block. And Charlie is one of those tight ends that like to block. Doesn't have ideal height. He's about 6'3", um, has a lot of bulk, plays with a ton of toughness but the really the thing that caught my eye about his tape was when he catches the ball he thinks he's a high school running back like (laughs) he loves to stiff arm guys there's a great play if you go back to his tape against northern arizona and he catches this tiny pass it's a like a six yard flare pass he he dodges the first guy stiff arms the second guy hurdles the third guy goes like 55 yards for either a touchdown or gets knocked out at like the one or two i forget whether he actually made it to pater but he loves running with a ball and runs very aggressively and my immediate thought was here's a guy like Jersic from the 49ers right that can do it all you can line him up as an h back you can line him up in line you can line him up in the slot he's not terribly fast but he loves to block he can bring that block off the edge from different angles and hey if you throw him a little pass and i do mean a four or five yard kind of screen flare pass or hook he's going to try and make every possible yard and i think again a team that's creative about that role in the nfl and not all are but some of them are uh, if you get a creative offensive mind and you give him charlie tomoipea like he's gonna find a role to put him in there and and make some yards occasionally and he can play special teams while he's figuring that out he has that hard-nosed mentality he's just a fascinating dude yeah really interested to see what he ends up doing in the nfl where he goes in the draft if he's you know one of those late round guys that uh, makes it through or maybe you never know with some of those small school guys if they slip out to be uh, undrafted free agents and maybe the the seahawks have a little bit of an edge to get a guy like that being his kind of local team sure local market and home team yeah. it's a, it's a dream for those guys to to play anywhere in the nfl but right up the road from when they went to high school come on well one other thing that i know that the seahawks are going to be looking for going into the draft because you know they they saw chris carson go down to injury late in the season they saw rashad penny you know go out with an acl injury and so he's probably not going to be ready for the start of the season they are all the way down to calling marshawn lynch back to come and play in the playoffs and so I am a little bit curious about running back and watching this game, you know, Kelly for UCLA, he was kind of the guy who was touted as the guy for the type of game that he had. But part of me too, I I watched the senior bowl and the fact that Joshua Kelly, he wasn't even getting touched until four or five yards down the field. I don't know how well that translates to what the Seahawks, you know, and I like in terms of toughness, kind of curious, you know, would a guy like P Ryan out of Florida or, or Darius Anderson guy who runs maybe a, a little bit tougher. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I didn't pay a lot of attention to Josh Kelly and, and through the first couple days of practice at the senior bowl, like Kelly, had good practices. Now, that being said, the senior bowl is a really tough place. In fact, I think it's the toughest place for a position to like uh, like RB to mm-hmm. shine. There's just not a lot of opportunity for them. Again, with a lack of contact, um, folks just picking up the systems, you well know that installing a run system takes a lot of coordination from the linemen. You're talking about a system that these linemen learn that day or the day before uh, in installs. There's not a lot of nuance. Double teams are, uh, let's just say, not cleanly executed in most cases. 
uh, it's tough for a running back to really show his wares at the senior bowl. That being said, Kelly had a couple of good practices. I hadn't been paying a ton of attention to him. So I actually have a guy I know that works on the staff at UCLA and I don't have that many guys like that. So I reached out to my friend at UCLA and I said, Hey man, couple of good days from Josh Kelly here. Tell me about Josh. You know him from working with him in the program. And this is what he said. He said, Josh is the best kid ever. Could not vouch for his character more. Lights up every room he goes into. Was a walk-on transfer who fought his way from fifth string, paying his own way to all conference. He's a little limited athletically, but he has vertical burst. Can make you Can't make you miss in the open field necessarily, but he's big, he's decisive, and he's willing in protection. You know, as fungible as running back is, I mean, we just saw a guy who was on his, what, seventh NFL team light up the NFC championship game for 220 yards. Right. If you get a guy like Raheem Mostert who can do that, it means that if you get a guy like Josh Kelly with a good system, some solid blockers, and you know, you vary up your run game, which the 49ers did amazingly well in the NFC championship game. You can have success with guys that don't have huge pedigrees. A lot of other guys stood out um, at running back for, again, sort of individual traits. Um, Antonio Gibson from Memphis looked like he had a bunch of pop. Uh, he looks smaller than he's listed. He's 6'2", almost 220. He's oh, well. a big dude, but he he runs more compactly than that. Um, Jamichael Hasty from Baylor showed a lot of zip. Uh, I heard people compare him or his game, not exactly his frame, but his game um, to Dalvin Cook. He's definitely got a little bit of Dalvin's sort of cut and go burst to him, That uh, some pop. He's not that big. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's guys that, again, give you a flavor that might fit with your particular system and uh, senior bowl is not the greatest place to showcase that but there are definitely a few guys there and the seahawks look the seahawks are probably the best in the league at grabbing a guy whose traits they like who they value more than anybody else chris carson a tremendous example of that that they could plug in and get production from so uh you know i'm sure that the seahawks scouts and attendance saw some folks that they liked Yeah, and I wouldn't expect them necessarily to go uh, with their first round pick again at running back, but with kind of the the position being devalued. And yes, thanks to the 49ers who can get an undrafted guy and plug him in and have such a a solid game. Uh, I I do expect that, though, that if there's a guy who is dropping to the third, fourth round who they really like, that it could be a possibility for them to because it is such a big part of their how how they want to play the game. Yeah, I just looked at my list and there's a guy that occasionally I'm looking at all these lists and all these names and I'm thinking about different teams and and where they go because that's the that's the beauty of doing what I do and you get to you get to think about all that and play within your mind and I just saw a fit that I low key kind of love for the Seahawks. Mm. Zach Moss. Zach Moss is the running back for Utah and he hammers like the utah team if you haven't watched it is one of the most physical teams in college football in fact jim Nagy in his opening press conference at the senior bowl said man those utah guys and he paused for a second he said they play like an sec team and Mm. in college football that's pretty much the highest compliment there is sec is obviously the best level of college football that's not even really arguable if you're if you're paying attention for him to signal out a team in the pac-12 which is not the top conference and say they play like 
they look like an SEC team. Um, and Zach Moss has that mentality, right? He's going to see the hole and then he is going to hit it. That entire team is really tough and he just sort of embodies that. So if Zach Moss slid a little bit, I could see the Seahawks going after him. Well, EJ, I really want to thank you for coming on. I am curious, though, as we're, as we're heading out the door, you know, we saw Justin Herbert come away with the MVP for the Senior Bowl. And I am a little bit curious because I, I feel like Joe Burrow is the obvious number one pick in the draft now after having the, the big national championship game. But I kind of wonder, uh, Justin Herbert, you know, playing for the Bengals head coach there at the Senior Bowl. I wonder if uh, getting the MVP and having to, some time to spend with him, if the Bengals might find a way to screw this up and uh, draft Justin Herbert number one instead. It's possible. There was some buzz about that. Some uh, supposed, well, not supposed, some actual Bengals insiders uh, tweeted out similar things. Hey, it's not a one horse race. It's not in lockstep. There's always posturing like that. And I'll just put a uh, a public service announcement out to your listeners, which is everything you hear from now until the actual draft is posturing. Everything you hear from a team is coming out with a reason. Everything you hear coming out from an agent or even an anonymous source or scout, there's a there's a purpose behind it. They're trying to either pump that guy's stock up so somebody else will take them and they'll get who they wanted, or they're trying to push that guy's stock down, which is a really devious thing to do, but it absolutely Mm -hmm. happens so that maybe they can get him around later um, or get a shot at him when they wouldn't have had a shot at him otherwise. So, so just buyer beware of, of draft news between now and then from sort of players or agents or teams. But I don't think the Bengals should, let's just put it that way. Herbert is a good quarterback. He can spin it. He is affable. He leads his teammates very well. When he has a target, he is very efficient. There's some question about him going through his reads. There is no question about his arm. I I saw him throw, uh, you know, long, short. I saw him throw on a line. I saw him throw with touch and arc. Justin Herbert has a great arm. He spins it as well as any quarterback coming out of college in the last four or five years. He has a very, very pretty ball. There are other questions about his game. Joe Burrow just had the best season a college quarterback has ever had, and that's pretty much demonstrable by the numbers. That's not opinion. He checks all the boxes in terms of being able to be a face of the franchise, leading guys, being affable, being tough, playing in a, you know, top program again we're talking about the sec there's no reason the bengals should not draft joe burrow now if they choose not to uh, okay that's on them but uh i wouldn't if i was their brass let's put it that way ej snyder of windy city gridiron i know you guys are going to be doing lots of draft shows throughout the off season if people want to tune into your show and and get some more draft news where do they go yeah, absolutely. So they can check out the work at Windy City Gridiron, which is the SB Nation Bears site. They can, of course, follow along on Twitter. That's where most of it will be, at the Draftsman FB, as in football. And then if they want more podcast action and they don't get enough of listening to the Field Goals podcast, they can check out my podcast with my podcast co-host, Jeff Burkus, which is called Bears Over Beers. And uh, we check out both beers and how the Bears are doing. But for the next couple months, it's largely just going to be draft news. So folks in the Northwest, uh, pretty handy with a beverage. They might want to check that out as well. It's on the Windy City Gridiron Podcast Network, but of course you can find it on iTunes, Stitcher, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. 
definitely check it out. And yeah, this is the season to be consuming all of the the draft content that we can leading up until April. And EJ, I want to thank you for coming on and appreciate all of your insight that you had, especially being down there on site in Mobile. Thanks once again. Absolutely. Love to have it. Anytime you want to have me back on, I'd be happy to do it, you know, closer to the draft, post-draft, whatever it is. Really appreciate the work Field Goals does uh, for the Seahawks, but also for the whole NFL community. So thanks again. Great opportunity. Be sure and subscribe to this show. Subscribe to EJ's show. Go to sbnation.com slash NFL podcasts. Go Hawks. 